Heavenly Father, we thank you for your amazing love. We thank you for the word of God that was communicated from the Holy Spirit through the writers and then preserved by you so that we could have a written word to look at, to read, to study, to learn from. Your word shows us the way of salvation. It shows us the path of life. May we learn today. May you keep our minds from getting distracted. May you help us to focus and learn and grow and be encouraged in our relationship with you. And we thank you that you are God and that you have revealed yourself to us and that you love and care for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Isaiah chapter 40, God, the one and only. I don't know, the picture's darker on here than it was on my screen, but uh, the those are the stars. There's, uh, there's a little rock outcropping, and there's a guy sitting on top of the rock, and there's stars behind that. And I know some of you can't see that. I have great night vision, so I have no trouble seeing that. But uh, you might have trouble. But, but listen, there is one God. And I, I just recently read a book and it talked about how, you know, God goes by many names and people come to, it through, come to him through many paths. And that's not what God's word said. There's one God and only one. There is a church that professes to be a church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they say there can be many gods that, in fact, you can become God. Well, the men. They're working on the women. Maybe they'll allow women to become God someday. I don't know. But, but listen, that's not what the Word of God says. There's one God and only one. And so today we're going to look at God, the one and only, and we're going to talk a little bit about the background to this. And then not only are we going to look at that, we're going to look at several, we're going to look at Isaiah 40. We're going to look at it twice. We're going to start there. We're going to turn to a couple other chapters in Isaiah, and then we're going to come back there. And then at the end of the message, I'm going to share some principles that we can carry as part of our life to help us understand what God is doing and why knowing God makes such a huge difference in our lives, okay? More than any other prophet, Isaiah talks about who God is. He talks a lot about who God is. Isaiah is the prophet to whom the Holy Spirit of God revealed, A virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Jesus. Isaiah uh, is the one who wrote the famous description that we uh, hear every Christmas season. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Isn't that cool? From that time forward, even forevermore, and the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Isaiah prophesies of the righteousness of God. Remember, we looked several weeks ago. Holy, holy, holy Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with His glory. Isaiah writes of this amazing, holy, righteous God who was willing to forgive our sins and save us. Come now, 
Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. All of these are passages we've looked at in Isaiah and things that tell us about Isaiah. I mean, sorry, about God. And many of the common phrases and even cliches used within Christianity today, we find them rooted in the book of Isaiah. Last week, we looked at Isaiah's description of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, found in Isaiah 53. And this morning, we're going to look at Isaiah's description of God, the one and only. We're going to look at what God's Word says about who God is, because God chose to reveal Himself to us. Aren't you glad? He he revealed Himself. And he gave us instructions that we can follow. In Isaiah chapter 40, hopefully you're there, but we're going to begin in verse number 12. And this is trying to get an image of the awesome greatness of God. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Imagine if God the Father had a body. Imagine how big his hand would be if all the water of the ocean fit in this part of his palm. Uh, I don't know how many of you have been around old cooks, uh, but in the old days, cooks didn't use measuring cups or spoons. You need a pinch of salt, they'd do a pinch. They'd shake a little of something in their palm, and they'd measure it that way, and then just pour it right in and mix it with their fingers, and hopefully they wash their hands first. But, But imagine God the, the water in your palm, some of you have bigger hands than mine, you, it wouldn't hold much. So the imagery of God is so huge, we can't even imagine how big he is. Um, he has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand. He has measured heaven with a span. This is a span. And uh, for general purposes, they rev- a span is is eight inches. Now, some people are more flexible than I am. I, I can barely get my hand to a right angle. That's how much. And Benjamin's hands are bigger than mine and more flexible, and so his are like nine to 12 inches or something. And, uh, but God measured the heavens as in a span. It's, it's nothing to God. In the same way that a dad might reach out and put his hand on a son, God can do that to the universe. And he continues. He calculated the dust of the earth in a measure. We have no idea how much dust there is, but aren't you amazed how much there is? You know, we, we invested in those double-pane windows, and I'm glad we did, but dust still just builds up. It's amazing, especially in the garage, right? That dust just fills in there. Some of you don't have a garage, but if you did, it'd be dusty place. Uh, he has measured the waters. He's measured the heavens. He's calculated the dust. He's weighed the mountains in scales. Now, today, we have some pretty awesome scales. We have some digital scales, and you can, I don't know if any of you ever driven a truck, but if you've driven, driven a truck over the road, a big truck, what you have to do is every now and then you've got to pull into a way station. 
And as you pull into the way station, you've got to get your whole truck all on the scale at once. And that big, massive scale tells the weight of your whole rig and all the stuff in the back of the rig. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about the scales they would use in the marketplace. It was a scale, you know, those scales that go like this. Sorry, I shouldn't have tipped. I can tip this way, not that way. Uh, the scales that go, they, they have a little bit in there, and as they put the weight in the scale, they balance it out so that you get that much that you've paid for. And God has put the mountains on these little scales like they would use in the marketplace. He's put the, the hills in a balance, that balancing scale. Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord, or as his counselor has taught him? God already knows everything. No one can teach him. God repeatedly said that. He said that in the book of Job. He says that here, that no one can teach God. God is the one who knows. With whom did he take counsel, and who instructed him, and taught him in the path of justice, and who taught him knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding? Now, every person in this room can think of something they learned from somebody else. You learn from your parents. Sometimes you learn what to do. Sometimes you learn, learn what not to do. But we've all learned from somebody. We've learned from our parents. We've learned from our kids. We've learned from our friends. We've learned from pastors. We've learned from college professors and instructors. Uh, but God never had to learn. Never. Oh, she's okay. Don't stress. God, God, Jesus said, let all the little kids come. God didn't have to have anyone teach him. We still need taught. I'm still studying and growing and learning. I've been studying the Word of God for 30 years, and there's still a lot I don't know. And, and we're all in the process of growing. But God already has everything. Verse 15 Behold, the nations are as a drop in a bucket. Wow. Oh, when the campaign season is about to kick up for the next presidential campaign, can you believe it? And there's already people declaring and doing. And I, I tell you, one of the things I like what England does, they have a limit to the campaigns. And, and you cannot campaign or have ads or anything till just a couple months before the election. Oh, I wish we had that. Um, but the nations are as a drop of a bucket. This morning I went outside to get the newspaper, and I had my lounging pants on and a T-shirt on, and I thought, oh, well, it's early. And I ran out, and my neighbor's out there, hey! <laughs> I'm like, hi. But, but one drop came off the house as I was coming back in. It was a raindrop, and one drop, and it hit here, and I had this big splotch. And I was glad I was just wearing my T-shirt, not this shirt. But, you know, just a drop in a bucket. Have, have you seen, like, a, a rain bucket? And you add one drop. Does, does it make a difference? One drop? 
No, you can't even tell. God can tell the difference, but you couldn't. The most intense scale would have a hard time telling the difference between a bucket full of water and one drop added. And God says the nations are like that bucket. Oh, but America or China or England or India, all these nations, our nation is the greatest. Our nation is the best. We have to exalt our nation. And listen, I'm not putting down the United States at all. I love America. I swore an oath before the flag to defend this country when I went in the Marine Corps. And I love America. I'm glad I have the privilege of living here. But God said, America is like a drop in a bucket. America is a soundbite. It's a blip compared to God. God is the awesome one. And by the way, he's God of the whole world, not just God of the conservative uh, United States. He's, He's God of everybody who will believe and trust in Jesus Christ. And so, behold, the nations are as a drop in a bucket and are counted as the small dust on the scales. What they would do when they'd scale, they, as they were balancing the scale, they'd have certain measures. And they would sit that measure on. And some of you have worked in labs, any of you, or in high school. And, lab, and in a lab, you have all lots of different scales. And so some of them are so small, you have to, like, use tweezers to get it up there. And, that get, and it sets, it calibrates the scale. And then, so they would have these measures. And then when they had to add more, they'd, like, put sand. And they'd sprinkle that on the scale to balance it out. And that's the small dust in the balance. And that's the nations of the earth. Okay. Do we, do we serve an awesome God? Yes, we do. Uh, look, in verse uh, 15, look, he lifts up the isles as a very little thing. All of the islands. How much of the land mass on planet earth is an island? All of it, right? All of it. It's all surrounded by ocean. Every piece of land. Some are huge, like North America, but everything's surrounded by the isles. Just just a little thing. And verse 16, Lebanon is not sufficient to burn. A great wooded area back then in Lebanon, and the trees of Lebanon were prized for building. And he said, that's not sufficient to burn, nor its beasts sufficient for a burnt offering. If you take all the timbers of those great woods and all the animals and offer all as a sacrifice, it would not be big enough for God. Verse 17, all nations before him are as nothing. As nothing. He's he's talking about his power and majesty over the nations. We have had people in our politics who have, uh, like atheists who've ranted and raved against God. We've had some who said God's on their side. It's always amazing how God's on the side of the Democrats and on the side of the Republicans, but the Democrats and Republicans don't get along with each other. God, they they quote from God, but God is so much bigger. And in the stress of politics, 
we need to remember we trust God. I, I Honestly, this little side note, I get frustrated with Christians who use Facebook and other means to diatribe and fuss about people in politics and argue for their side. Because as believers, we're on the side of Jesus. We don't advocate for one side or the other so much. We want to encourage everyone to follow Jesus. I'm not saying you shouldn't have a strong opinion politically. I think it's great if you do. I think it's fine if you share that with your friends. But remember, when you put stuff online, it goes out everywhere. And our job is to try and make Jesus Christ look good, not a certain political party or candidate. I'll step off my soapbox now. Let's go back to Isaiah chapter 40. All na- verse 17, all nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted by him less than nothing and worth- worthless. To whom then will you liken God? The true God compared to the false gods. Or what likeness will you compare to him? The workman molds an image. The goldsmith overspreads it with gold. The silversmith casts silver chains. Whoever is too impoverished for such a contribution chooses a tree that will not rot. He seeks for himself a skillful workman to prepare a carved image that will not totter. Years ago, I was walking. Actually, I can't remember. I was walking in a city in Cuba. It might have been Havana. I think it was, but I was in a lot of different cities there preaching. And and, uh, we had a ministry there for uh, about a dozen years where I would go and preach in pastor's conferences and encourage churches. And we're not able to do that now. But um, I was walking in Cuba, and I walked past this building, and I looked in there, and there was a Buddha, a big Buddha, covered with gold probably not solid gold, the people of Cuba were struggling. They, they, the average person earned less than $30 a month. And they were really struggling. And they had this shrine to Buddha. And God said, those are nothing. People make idols and then bow before them. They carve figures and then worship them. And God said, why would people do that? And then in verse 21, have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth or the creation of God? It is he, the Lord God, who sits above the circle of the earth. And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He brings the princes to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth useless. This is this awesome God. We, can, we don't have little gods. We don't have shrines to God. Uh, our God can't be modeled. Uh, we can't make something that would look like our God. He is big and he is huge and he's amazing. And, and what's really remarkable, we already looked at in Isaiah chapter 1, that God says, uh, I want to forgive you. I, I, I care for you. Come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. He wants us to seek his salvation. He wants us to be forgiven because this amazing God cares about us. 
We'll come back to chapter 40 in a little bit. I want you to turn to chapter 41, verse 10. Chapter 41. God has power over all of creation. Chapter 41, verse 10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. Did you catch that beginning? I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Now, when Isaiah was penning these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Isaiah felt like, and his message was primarily to Israel, because it was. That was Isaiah's ministry, was to the the children of Israel, the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And Isaiah had a ministry to teach them and share with them the Word of God. And so this verse is directly applicable to the Israelites in that culture in that day. But by extension, we can think of it in our own lives because He's the same God, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever, Hebrews 13 says. He's the same God, and He cares about His people, His people, the the believers who assemble together in the church, his chosen people on the Lord's day, gathering in the Lord's house. Uh, so we can say that like, just like God was so patient and kind in providing for Israel, so he will provide for us today. We don't have the guarantee of land like Israel did, but we do have the guarantee of God's watch care, of God's loving kindness. We have that guarantee. And so we can say, we don't need to be dismayed. God will give us the strength to handle whatever comes. How many of you have ever felt overwhelmed by the circumstances? All right, now put those down. How many of you in circumstances that seemed overwhelming felt the presence of God's grace and strength? Oh, we could raise both hands on that one, right? Right, Sue? Uh, God provides, and we need to trust Him. Turn to chapter 43, please. Chapter 43. And we're going to look at verses 10 and 11. You are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know me and believe me, and understand that I am He. Before me, there was no God formed. I got lost my place. Hold. Before me, there was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. No one became God before God. There's only one God. No one will become God after this. There's one God. Verse 11, I, even I, am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. There's no religion on earth that can guarantee salvation except when you receive the gift of salvation from God. We can't earn it. If you say, well, you've you got to earn your salvation, how much is enough? You've got to give enough money to be saved. How much is enough? 
But in the word of God, receiving the gift of God, we find that it's not of works. It's a gift we receive from the Lord. Turn to chapter 44, verse 8. Chapter 44, verse 8. Do not fear. How many of you occasionally experience a little bit of fear? Right? Now, if we're honest, a lot of times when we fear, it's not for us. It's for someone else. We have fear for our parents' health or fear for our kids or fear for a friend or fear for those who have not trusted Christ. That seems righteous, doesn't it? Because we care about other people. But fear is fear. We're not supposed to fear. We're supposed to trust the Lord and pray. So back to 44, verse 10, right? 8, verse 44, verse 8. Do not fear nor be afraid. Have I not told you from that time and declared it? You are my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Indeed, there is no other rock. I know not one. There aren't multiple gods. There's one God. Chapter 45, we're going to look in several verses here. Chapter 45, verse 5. I am the Lord and there is no other. There is no God besides me. I will gird you, though you have not known me, that you may know from the rising of the sun to its setting that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Jump down to verse 18. For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth and made it, who has established it, who did not create it in vain, who formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord. And there is no other. Verse 21. Tell and bring forth your case. Yes, let them take counsel together. Who has declared this from ancient time? Who has told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? And there is no other God besides me. A just God and a Savior. There is none besides me. Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. Chapter 46, verse number 8. Remember this and show yourselves friend, men. Sorry, Recall to mind, O you transgressors, remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure, calling a bird of prey from the east. Sorry, I'm, I was going to stop right there. Okay, uh, God is the one God. He is God, has always been God, always will be God. And our culture doesn't want to recognize the one true God. And there's some reasons for that. One is that our culture doesn't like the righteous, holy demands of God. Because God says, if you offend in one law, you're a lawbreaker. But in our culture, we want just the love and forgiveness of God, not the righteous, holy standard of God. And our culture doesn't want people to feel bad. So if you believe that 
You, you believe in the supernatural bus that will show up when you die, and you'll climb on that supernatural bus, and it will take you to some place in heaven. I don't know if that sounds a little silly, but there are tribal groups and people groups that have believed in a white horse, have believed in uh, a dark spirit, have believed in a golden gem, have believed in a piece of what there's all kinds of people who believed in all kinds of things. But there's God, the one and only. And, And we don't find this God just by making him. We didn't make him up. A bunch of guys didn't sit around someday and say, listen, we need to get people to worship one God. What kind of idea could we have? And they voted on it. No, there are religions that do that. They have a vote on their doctrine, and that decides what it's going to be. But we take the word of God, and we believe the word of God. And God said he is the one and the only. I said we'd go back to chapter 40. Let's go back there. Isaiah chapter 40. (coughs) Excuse me. Isaiah chapter 40. And we're going to look at, we looked at God's power over creation. Now we're going to look at God's power in creation uh, in verse number 25. To whom then will you liken me? Or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things, who brings out their host by number. He calls them all by name, by the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one is missing. God is the creator. It's funny to me that that the theory of evolution has modified itself multiple times over the years, has to change because they keep finding proof that what their theory was couldn't be true. And a lot of people are now believing there, there has to be some kind of design to life. You couldn't have an accidental explosion create all of this, but they don't want to recognize the creator. And Romans 1 talks about that. They refused to acknowledge the creator, so they worshiped the creation and the created false gods. God is the one and only. He has power over creation. He spoke creation into existence. And the theory of evolution itself, the way it stands today, after all these adjustments, it still violates some of the known laws of science. And the Bible says God created. And the commonality of life that even evolutionists believe, life came from a... a, common origin. Yes, it did. God created the heavens and the earth, the common origin. Look at verse 28. Have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might. He increases strength. Listen, he is never fatigued. How many of you at some point this last week felt tired? God is never fatigued. I tell you, I didn't even play with the young people yesterday. I just watched them, and I came home tired. Uh, and, And God is never fatigued, and he's never distracted. How many of you have tried to talk to somebody, and they were distracted? 
every lady in the room ought to have their hands up, right? Yeah, every married lady anyway, right? Yeah, uh, God is never distracted. He's never fatigued. And he understands everything. Look at verse 29. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord, and this word wait, not, not talking about just sitting around waiting, but those who are like serving the Lord as a waiter would serve people, those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. They will have the power they need to serve God in the way they need. And, and so there's some things that I want us to really connect with God in, in these passages as we've talked about God. And the first is that God is intimately involved with his creation. Intimately involved with his creation. He's not just God up there who gives us a little bit of time. He's intimately involved. All right, let's be honest. We've had people say, they were going to be there for us. I'll have your back. I'm on your side. I'm there for you. And they weren't, right? Yeah, we, we've experienced that. You'll never experience that with God. You say, but, but I trusted God and he let me go through hard times. I hope you'll stay for the afternoon service at 1 o'clock. Uh, if, even if you don't stay, you leave. Come back at 1 o'clock for the afternoon service. And, and we're going to be looking at, at that very thing, trusting God. Uh, God's people are a people of faith. I hope you'll come back for that or stay for that. He gives, secondly, he's not just intimately involved with his creation, but he gives grace and strength to those who serve him. Grace and strength to those who serve him. He is the eternally omnipotent one, and he gives forever strength to those who trust and follow him. You have enough strength for life. You have enough strength for death because the omnipotent, everlasting one gives you forever strength. When God delivered the the Israelites from the Red Sea, Moses and the children of Israel sang this song. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him because he gives strength to those who love and serve him. He gives grace to those who love and serve him. Thirdly, nothing that we face is too difficult for him. The picture on the screen is a, a classical illustration, a painting from uh, the time of the Depression and, and uh, people were suffering. And the, there's a man there, and you, maybe you don't see down on the ground, there's some tools, a pick and shovels and that. He's a laborer kind of guy. So he has a big pack, and his wife has a little bag, and then she has a little baby sitting on her and a little kid sitting beside her. And they're hoping to catch a ride to someplace better. They're going through very difficult times. I remember my grandparents had a small farm. My great-grandparents had a small farm during the Depression. And my grandpa was a pastor. Sometimes they couldn't give him any money. So the people would pay him what they could. 
They gave him stuff from their farms. Well, he already had that from his own farm. But God saw him through. And nothing we face is too difficult for God. Even some people are really stressed out by the the culture part, the part of our culture that's anti-God, and there's a very strong part of our culture that's anti-God. And so we live in fear that they're going to take over, and guess what? Even if they do, God is still God, and he will give you the grace and strength you need because nothing you face is too big for him. The mountains are on a scale. The nations are a drop in the bucket as small dust on the scale. Nothing's too difficult for God. And, and this, this is really cool. I want you to think this one through with me. Okay, ready? When we walk with God, He walks with us. Just like Adam and Eve in the garden. Just like he started at the beginning of creation, walking with them before sin entered. Even now, even though sometimes we sin, when we walk with God, he is walking with us. And by the way, when you're not walking with God, he's calling you back to the walk. He's not saying, well, you walked off the path, loser, go away. He's calling you back, saying, come back. Walk with me. Isaiah 30, verse 15 says, For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, In returning and rest you shall be saved, and quietness and confidence shall be your strength. And then it ends with these words, But you would not. God said, I want to be your God. I want to take care of you. I want to provide. I want to be the mighty, omnipotent one to show myself strong on your behalf. But you would not. Would God say that about you? I want to be your God. I want to provide for you. I want to bless you. I want to enrich your life. But you would not. Would God say that about you? Hopefully not. Hopefully God would say, that you responded when he said, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. That you came to him. That you found rest for your soul. That you now trust in him. And you walk with him. And he walks with you. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the challenge from Isaiah. Thank you for the Holy Spirit of God who helps us think it through. And I pray that we would seriously follow you. I pray that we would not just partly follow you. And I pray, Lord, if there's those here this morning who've never trusted you as Savior, I pray they would do it. And if there are believers who are not walking with you, I pray they would choose to step off the wrong path, get back on the right path. In Jesus' name, amen. Jim's going to come and we're going to sing. Uh, a hymn. It's in the hymnal, but it's also on the screen. Worthy of worship. We're going to sing all three verses of Worthy of Worship.